Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. Yeah, everybody in the band's very different. I call Paul Scissorhands, because he always has scissors in his hands, and he's always cutting things. And uh, we call him Producer Man, because he sleeps during the album. Most of the time, he just sort of sleeps, and he just wakes up, walks in at the right moment, says the right thing, makes the right comment, and goes back to sleep. Andrew's very sort of faddish. He's called Fad Man. He's our techno wizard. He's the man who knows how to switch the computer on and off, <laughs> and much more. He's very good because he's quite levelling. He understands me. He interprets very well, you know, the, the ideas that I have. And Stuart's very obsessed by music. Well, we all are, but Stuart expresses it more. You know, he, he's always got a CD in his pocket. We work very well together, musically. Before we begin, let's maintain clarity. Sade is a band. Helen Folachade Adu, also referred to as Sade, is the lead singer. Other members of the band include Stuart Matthewman, Andrew Hale, and Paul Denman. Any album released under the name Sade refers to the band, not the individual. When I met you, boy, you were as sweet as There was a single word used to accumulate class, enigma, and perhaps sultry. It would have to be Sade. In just a couple of years, they went from a small club band to one of the most successful in the world. With their debut album and then having to almost immediately follow it up with another exceeding its quality. with the awards. The band's mysticism, although more so with its lead singer, would add to the image that people associated with the music. But the artistry is equally as engaging, despite rarely being examined. Members of Sade would meet during 1982, after joining an already established seven-piece band, Pride. Now, the Oxford Road Show video band this week, making their debut on TV, have been together for nine months. Seven-piece coming from Hull and London. Uh, the back line of sax, bass and drums are Stuart and the two Pauls. Guitar and the songwriter is Race and John. There's Nick, Barbara Robinson and Sade Adu on vocals. Pride. <laughs> was in a club and somebody I vaguely knew said that they had a band and they were re rehearsing and they didn't have a singer. The singer had left them, would I sing with them? And I just said, well, you know, I can't sing, so why don't you try asking somebody else? And at that time I was working making clothes, I was working as a, as a designer. But I thought that would be what I'd do for the next several years. They were sure I could sing. I looked like a singer. Even as a backing singer, Helen stood out. She began to write songs with other members, Stuart Matthewman and Ray St. John. This would eventually lead to a more laid-back sound that was very different from what Pride was performing. So much so, Sade became a separate entity. 
and eventually their manager would recommend becoming the opening act for the main band once keyboardist Andrew Hale became a member. We heard that um, Paul uh, was free and he had a bass, Stuart was free and he had a sax, and Andrew his big hands and, <laughs> and his keyboard. So they joined and um, we continued until we finally got a deal. After playing the London scene and making a few radio appearances, EMI had both Pride and Sade record a handful of tracks at Electric Light Studios. The band's manager would eventually pass these recordings on to producer Robert Miller. agreed that they would record two tracks together, Your Love is King and an updated version of one that had been worked on during those EMI sessions. The track most synonymous with Sade, Smooth Operator, has a bit of a checkered release history. Firstly, dependent on which part of the world you were in would determine which version you actually heard. There are two mixes, one that was released in America and one that was released everywhere else. From the beginning, we can hear the differences between the two. Here's the American version. And here's the other. Already, we hear that not only is the placement of individual percussion dissimilar, but the sound seem to be as well. Let's put the two side by side, the American mix in the left channel and the rest of world version in the right. The rest of world mix runs about 2% faster, so they might fall out of sync occasionally. Vocals are an interesting case. In the beginning, they seem to be the same, but as the song progresses, it appears that they are actually two different performances. This is a testament to Sade's singing ability, or perhaps lack thereof. The American mix also features additional sax from Stuart Matthewman. In a way, every, every artist needs a song that helps them break through, and that was our song. Um, I don't think it's typical of our work, but maybe without that, without that huge sort of 
success and that's very needed, that song. We wouldn't be in the position where we are now, just making the record we want to make. play live in the studio. I mean, you very often put the drums and bass down. You put like a rough tempo of the song and then you'd, you'd put it down. I mean, we didn't really quite know what we were doing, but our producer at the time, Robert Miller, did. Yeah, he was very experienced. And the engineer that we had, uh, Mike Taylor, was very good. Interestingly, Robin Miller recorded the drums using two overhead microphones, then overdubbed a Lin LM1 kick drum sound and his own sampled snare to replace the real drums in the mix. This maintained a consistent, dynamic range of the beat, while keeping the reflections around it acoustic. My guess would be that one of these mixes uses the original intact drumming, while the other utilises the samples. confusion, on a number of vinyl pressings throughout various parts of the world, the extended version of the track was used instead. This version is actually the American mix, but continues into an instrumental known by the name Snakebite and Red Eye. Charlie, do you find it frightening being suddenly involved in the music business on the level that you're going, you're going to be involved in? I mean, presumably people are talking about offering you very large sums of money at the moment for what you do, yeah? Yeah. Yeah? But it's not frightening. <laughs> it's quite pleasant. There's nothing frightening about that. <laughs> what sort of money is being talked about? I'd, I'd rather not say, actually. Tens of thousands of pounds? Yeah. Just lie. <laughs> <laughs> The Diamond Life album was recorded from October to December of 1983. It would be released in July of 1984. Many of its songs would begin as rhythm tracks with just the bass and drums, before composition was built around them, which might explain how they still stood out on mid-1980s radio. Despite the album's consistent sound, the individual track's versatility would be apparent just from its singles. We were given some studio time by Robin Miller. You Will Love Is King and Smooth Operator were mastered before we went to the record company. We still weren't signed after we'd finished those two songs. So we were really lucky in that we had something really concrete to show them. Your love is king. Thank you. 
first single issued in the UK, Your Love Is King, was released in February, five months before Diamond Life. It sets the tone of expectation from the band, a sample of what to expect of the album while maintaining its own individual significance. Yeah, there's definitely both. We went to the studio uh, with a producer called Robin Miller. We recorded Smooth Operator, a song that I'd just written with Charlotte called Yola the King. And then we used those to shop, shop the deal. You're making me dance inside. So I think we, we released um, Yola the King first. And that kind of uh, went straight in the charts like number six. And Smooth Operator was on the, on the B side of that. Featuring the essential passionate sax lines from Stuart and a maintained seductive vocal from Sade, the song shows the world, even this early on, how Enigma can be so revealing. Not only was it a hit, but also a fan favourite, having been performed on every one of Sade's tours. appropriate first single for the album. While they would of course develop and improve their lyrics and musicianship, this is where the true lineage begins. In the beginning we didn't think about success, we just thought about making this piece of vinyl, that was our major ambition, just it was so exciting, the thought that you know, what we do is going to go turn into plastic and be around forever. Even one copy we would have been happy with, <laughs> well, one copy each, please. I mean, you assume that the point in making music is that uh, you're going to affect somebody or somebody will like it, because there's no point in making records. If you don't communicate something to somebody, then what's the point in making records? Maybe just stay at home and make your own music. While the album and its singles continued their success in the UK, it was time to penetrate the US market. Your Lover's King might have put Stuart and Sade at the forefront, but this time it was the rhythms of Paul Denman and their session drummer Dave Early, along with the metrical keys of Andrew Hale, that initially captures the listener. This 
single remarkably put the mostly white British band on the Billboard Hot Black Singles charts. Interestingly, we can hear that the song doesn't differ much from its original backing track, aside from the obvious vocal additions and a more succinct guitar performance. play live in the studio, no. I mean, very often you put the drums and bass down, you put like a rough tempo of a song and then you put it down. I mean, hang on to love and some of the other ones are like drum triggers, you know, like you do like old uh, delay units so you could do a short sample on, so I think some of the snares and things were triggered, you know. Perhaps even more fascinating is the remix it received for the US singles. While the original is pretty dry in its overall mix, the drums are different and are much more reflective in their reverberation, along with the guitar and vocals, the latter of which features a delay in certain sections. was a more than successful debut, charting highly all around the world, and in some cases, for well over a year. It was a pop elevation of the Quiet Storm albums that had been released during the 70s and would be released in its following. After Diamond Life, we went more or less straight into Record Promise, maybe a year later or something. And I'm not too sure why, but I guess in a way it was a release because when we went back into the studio, it meant that I was away and I was off the scene. So that was very good for me, you know, just to get back into the studio and be away from what I considered a big madness. The recording sessions for what would become the Promise album took place from February to August of 1985, allowing Sade to not only refine the material, as they did with the previous, but also write it, almost from scratch. The opening song and second single of the album, Is It A Crime, was actually tried and tested during the Diamond Life shows in late 1984. Before any type of release, it would be one of three performed in front of the world during Live Aid at Wembley Stadium in July 1985. A copy wouldn't be available for at least three months until Promise was released. But 
that was always the most powerful song for us. We actually recorded that live in the studio. I think we ended up sort of redoing a couple of overdubs, but that was actually done as a band studio live. Sade's singing on this song is arguably some of her best, vocalising love and heartbreak together with such conviction and ease. The video is charming in its own simplicity. It's actually a continuation from the video for The Sweetest Taboo, in which she looks out at her window reminiscing of the joy she's experienced with her man. Towards the end, she writes Temor on the window, which is Spanish for fear, the title of another song on Promise. The Is It A Crime video continues the scenic narrative along similar lines, but this time the flashbacks depict a much more tumultuous relationship, with the couple becoming physical during altercations. Their present expressions seem to both project regret about their actions. Sade's former man travels to the scene where her and her band are performing, but by the time of his arrival, everyone is gone. All that's left for him is to contemplate the presence of Temor written in the fog on the window. come from inside me, you know, inside my life. I sort of dig around and I find the stories hidden there somewhere. Sometimes things just come almost magically into my mind. Um, sometimes I see something that, you know, and I'm compelled, you know, to write about it. 
Other times they're just pure fantasy. I don't have a great, uh, I have no technique, you know, <laughs> I just sing the song the way I feel it should be sung and that's it, it's no, I'm no great acrobat, I'm no, no great technician, I just sing the song how I feel it should be sung. been doing is it a crime like we, we kind of wrote it at a rehearsal I think and then, and then we, we ended up playing it live uh, when we were doing the Diamond Life tour so that, that was like one song we had we knew that was a really strong song so we then started building uh, other songs around it. Over the course of an entire week in April the band worked on what would become the album's first single The Sweetest Taboo. Like most of the songs on the album the track's creative process began with the rhythm. As with Smooth Operator, the original drum track was overdubbed, but this time they saw samples of the rim and snare from the original performance and triggered them throughout the track. If I tell you, if I tell you now Further point of interest is that the song features no hi-hat or toms. Other percussion would be sampled from the Emacs emulator by Mike Peeler. Another song written uh, that she wrote with her percussion player, Martin Ditchett, who had this odd drum beat that he'd done. I think it was on a drum machine originally, but a quirky guitar thing, and then we ended up arranging it as a band. But she wrote that with uh, with our percussion player, that was really cool. The song was initially recorded almost as a live performance. That recording was used as the basis for what it became, as overdubs would replace many of the original stems on the multi-track. This includes Sade's vocal, which initially was recorded live with the band separate in the control room. familiar formula that gave birth to Smooth Operator, and given that it became the group's second number one, it reached the same results. It's soulful music. It doesn't necessarily sound like the soul people recognise, but uh, comes from inside, and that's what I consider to be soul music. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of folk and a lot of jazz, soul music, uh, flamenco, even classical music, can come from the soul. If it gets you there, then it's soul music. 
it's something which has to be felt. You know, we don't really have any working pattern. The third single from Promise, titled Never As Good As The First Time, would become one of the band's best dance tracks. Oddly, the extended remix version of the song runs the same length as the album version. However, it was remixed, adding a dramatic vocal introduction drenched in synth orchestration. I'll pan the original album version in the left and the extended remix in the right and sync the two together. As we begin the song itself, we're confronted with numerous changes, with the extended version full of new flourishes, like the rhythmic chant and jarring guitar licks, making the original sound almost like a demo. Here we have a section cut out of the remix, which is essentially an elongated build-up with some extra guitar. slightly different between the two. The reverberation in the remix is significantly muddier than the album, featuring the double-tracked vocal slightly louder as well. This is also the situation for the bass, with its sub-frequencies enhanced, although this could also be due to the overall mastering of the track. While the remix appears to feature a lot of new elements, the guitar lick actually features on both versions, just less prevalent in the original. The biggest highlight is the male vocal throughout. Aside from the rhythmic chanting, everything in the original is in the latter version. Elements are just repeated and reverberated more noticeably, thus sounding fuller. Due to the instrumental differences at the beginning, the extended remix is actually slightly extended towards the end, with the recording fading out later than the album. Maybe it's an issue that we were very into, we were busy doing what we did, and didn't matter what was around, didn't really affect us that much because there was no, there's no question of options because if you, if you don't do the music that you want to, if you don't make the music that you want to make, then there's not much point in making it. And to have adapted what we did to sound more correct with what was current at the time when we started would have been pointless, you know, there was no point. If you compromise before you've even started, then by the time you get there, you've totally lost the plot. 
By November 1985, Sade's second album, Promise, was released. While the songs were not worked on over a couple of years like many on the previous, the quality arguably exceeds that of their debut, avoiding the usual sophomore album slump. The lyrics are more vulnerable, and the compositions more daring, while maintaining the sound they would be famous for on Diamond Life. While they would continue to exceed their quality in the late 80s and early 90s, the consistent sound of these back-to-back -back albums make them feel almost like a singular experience. Like the songs in their discography, whether recognised or not, they all have their place. There's a lot of people who are open to taking in lots of different things. If only it's made available. It wasn't so amazing that, that people like what we did. It wasn't so incredible. I think that the same people will still be attached to us. I don't think by disappearing, things changing, that the door closes necessarily. Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.